All right, how are we doing? Good? Nice. All right, you guys are awake. That's good. You're going to have to keep me awake um, this morning. But exciting to see the 55 people through our campuses who uh, were baptized last week. Yeah, it's good stuff. And uh, we're looking to possibly have another baptism in April. And uh, I know there's several in our church. Uh, hopefully we'll take the plunge. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, did you guys get your uh, flyers, your mailers? Everybody get their mailers? Okay. Somebody in the 9 o'clock got four of them. So if you didn't get yours, the postal service decided to give her yours. So we got our Easter mailer that we sent out, about that big. And hopefully you guys got that. Uh, I think it's primarily Northwood, Oregon, and some of the other smaller towns. Anyway, so either put that on your refrigerator and be praying for that weekend, or better yet, um, Find somebody who didn't get a mailer, hand it to them as an invite, have them come and be a part of our, uh, our service. We've got, um, Kim and I have got a plan, I'll tell you about it at the end of uh, the message this morning, what we're going to be doing in our neighborhood. And we've already had one neighbor ask us about it, you know, we weren't even doing anything, and uh, he came over and was talking to, to Kim and asked her about if we're going to have services, so it's good stuff. Well, we've got a lot to cover this morning, so turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. It's page 982, uh, if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And we're continuing to look at some of the events and teachings of the greatest week in history, the week leading up to and ending with Jesus uh, dying on the cross for our sins and then rising from the dead, which we'll be talking about on Easter. Uh, for those who don't know, the, um, the gospel writers, the guys who authored these gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, each of them were writing to a different, different original audience. And so what they were trying to do is they were trying to give a perspective of who Jesus was that helped that audience understand him better. So you'll, as you're reading through, you'll see that sometimes they include the same events in teaching. Sometimes they have different events in teaching. It's all because they're coming at it. It all happened. It's all true. They're just trying to help their audience understand who Jesus is from different perspectives. So John, last week, we were looking at John, and his gospel, his focus was to help people understand that Jesus Christ is God, and that he came to die on the cross for our sins. That was his whole thing. If you go starting in John 1, all the way through the end, he's talking about Jesus as God, he died on the cross for our sins. So he didn't spend a whole lot of time here in this last week dealing with some of the exchanges that Jesus had with the religious leaders like Matthew does. We're going to be in Matthew. Matthew's focus, as he wrote, was to help his readers understand, and us today, to understand that Jesus is king of God's kingdom. And we'll talk a little more a little bit later about what God's kingdom is. But he is the king. And so all those that are in his kingdom then would be his servants. But he wants everybody to understand that Jesus is king. And so here at the last week, Jesus got this message. He wants people to know this message He's determined to make sure people have this message. And so there's some exchanges that he has with the religious leaders um, that we're going to look at one of those exchanges today. Because they were responsible for building God's kingdom, and they were failing at it. And he wanted them to know that he knew, and he wanted everybody else to know that they were failing at it, which, of course, uh, didn't make them real happy, right? So we're going to look at those things today. Quickly, though, real uh, quick review if you weren't here last week. 
So last Sunday was Monday of the greatest week. And so we were, like I said, we looked at John. Um, and John has Jesus arriving. Well, all three, all four Gospels have this. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. The people are cheering Jesus as their king. They're excited to have him there. John then tells us, again, what his purpose for coming to Jerusalem was, why it was purpose for coming to earth, but also to Jerusalem. Even though he knew he was going to be put to death, he still came. The rest of the uh, Gospels tell us that he, at that time, once he came into Jerusalem, then he went and cleared out the temple. You might have heard that story where he tipped over tables and cleared out the money changers. And what was happening there is it was a Passover, and so during the Passover celebration, they would sacrifice animals to ask God to forgive them of their sins, and that's just how they did it. And so they would have, people would show up, and they wouldn't have their animals. So then they would go and purchase animals. The guys set up in the temple, because, hey, that's close to where they need to be, right? So they set up in the temple, and then they were charging, it's almost like capitalism, right? Uh, they were charging exorbitant amounts, kind of like when the toilet paper issue happened, right? People were selling toilet paper on eBay for hundreds of dollars, um, you know, I won't go into it. Yeah. Anyways, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, the law of Moses didn't allow for that. They were not supposed to use a temple as a marketplace, and they were not to be charging exorbitant amounts of money. And so Jesus went in there and said, it's not what you're supposed to be doing. So he took the tables, tipped them over, kicked everybody out. It also tells us in the, in the Gospels that he was going around healing, healing people that were blind, healing people that were lame. So this upsets the Jewish religious leaders, of course, that they don't like him doing this. And so Jesus heads back at the end of, at the, end of the day on Monday. He heads back to Bethany. It's kind of his staging place. But he shows back up on Tuesday in Jerusalem again. And because, uh, again, he wants to get this information out. He wants to get his message out. He's determined to do this. So on Tuesday, we find out, if you're, if you're reading through this week, um, He's on his way to Jerusalem. He sees a fig tree. Uh, a fig tree doesn't have any fruit on it, so he curses it. And it's a, kind of an illustration as he tells the disciples, hey, you know, I did that, and you guys are going to do greater things through prayer and faith. So as they're looking forward, or as he's looking forward to them leading the church, they're going to do greater things than that as long as they pray and have faith in who God is. When he arrives in Jerusalem, the religious leaders just jump right on him. And they're asking him what authority he has to do what he's doing. Who's giving you this authority? What, what authority do you have in order to toss out the money changers to ruin our system and heal people? This kicks off as high-stakes debates that are between the religious leaders and Jesus. Jesus is giving parables and, and other kinds of teaching in order to show everybody, hey, the religious leaders are not doing this God's way. They're, they're not obeying God. The religious leaders then, in turn, they're coming at Jesus with a bunch of questions. Because what they're trying to do, they, they know the people are behind Jesus, and so what they're trying to do is get Jesus to answer in such a way that they can say, see, he's not teaching properly, and then we can arrest him and kill him. So if you're following me, they're debating with God. Um, so my money's on Jesus. Not that I'm a betting man, I'm just saying. If I were to bet money, my money's on Jesus. So as the exchange begins, Jesus starts off with two parables. We're not going to cover the first one, we're going to cover the second one, but the first one is a parable about uh, two sons. And it's a dad who tells these two sons, hey, listen, I need you to go do something for me. So whatever it is, he tells them to do. 
The first son says, no, I'm not going to, but then later on goes and does it. The second son says, yeah, I got it, and then he doesn't go do it. So Jesus then shows, because the dad is God, of course, and so then Jesus shows, hey, listen, two sons, and he relates the first son to people, including like tax collectors and, and prostitutes, which, are, which of course the religious leaders think they're the lowest of the low, right? He says, hey, the first son are people who may say no to God initially, but then they turn to him in faith and they obey him and do what God calls them to do. The second son, religious leaders, are those who say yes, give lip service to God, but then don't do what God calls them to do. So, of course, this does not make them happy, right? Anybody in their situation, they're not going to be happy with hearing what Jesus has to say. Well, before Jesus can let them respond, he then tells them this parable, and he says this, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And that illustration, that uh, picture we're supposed to get comes out of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive the produce. So there was this plan. There's, here's the plan. You guys, you know, handle a vineyard. You guys make sure that we get the harvest, and I'm going to send some of my service. I'm going to get what's rightfully mine. The vine growers, though, they took his slaves and beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them. Now, if you're, if you're following this, you're, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, okay, the first time he touches one of my servants, I'm going to have words, right? But he keeps on sending more and more people, and now it's his son saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said that among themselves, this is, the, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Let's take for ourselves what is rightfully his. They took him, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So then Jesus asked this question. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vineyard or vine growers? Religious leaders and people who are listening and people today like us who are reading. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. All right, so that's the parable. So who is he talking about here? Who, who, should, we, yeah, who should we be relating in this? So the landowner is God. All right, and in the Old Testament, Primarily in the prophets, God says that Israel is his vineyard. He kind of talks about them as a vineyard. So it's, it's God. In fact, Jesus uses this in John 15, where he says, hey, God, uh, God is the owner, the farmer. I'm the vine, uh, and you are the branches. You know, and, and he's talking about the fact that we need to be connected to Christ in order to grow spiritually and accomplish anything uh, spiritually speaking. So it's very familiar to Israel. The vine growers are the religious leaders. Now, the religious leaders, as we'll find out, and as if you've done any reading in Scripture, uh, the vine growers, they're not doing it right. Uh, they're not handling things the way God wants them to handle. They were literally doing this religious thing 
And because they were doing it wrong, they were turning people away from God rather than to God. Okay? And God continued to send these messengers to them to try to say, hey, listen, you're doing it wrong. So the slaves are the Old Testament prophets that God sent to Israel. So he's saying, hey, listen, you guys, you're doing it wrong. Hey, listen, you guys, you're doing it wrong. This is what you should be doing. Hey, you're doing it wrong. This is what you should... For thousands of years, he's been doing this, having them come to them. Now, the interesting thing is, like I said, the vineyard illustration comes out of the prophets. This is where you see this. The prophets would say, hey, you're God's vineyard. You need to be doing things God's way, blah, 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 blah. Isaiah was sawn in two. So when he brought the message to Israel, they turned around and sawed him in two. I don't know about you guys. That's the terrible way to die, um, even with power tools. You know, I mean, I get some high-powered power tools, but that would be a terrible way to die. Not that any of these are, are good. Jeremiah, he talks about them being a vineyard. He was thrown into a pit and then stoned to death. Can you imagine being hit with rocks to the point that you die? Just unbelievable. Um, Ezekiel, he was murdered. So that's another place where the vineyard idea came into. Some other prophets who didn't necessarily talk about this vineyard thing, says Amos, he ran for his life. Zechariah was chased into the temple and stoned. Uh, John the Baptist, who was considered an Old Testament prophet because he was during Jesus' time, uh, he had his head cut off. So to be a prophet was dangerous business because of bringing God's message to a people who didn't want to hear God's message and they took care of him that way. Well, and last but not least, is the Son, Jesus Christ. And so here's the point. When the religious leaders said, well, those wretched people are going to go to a wretched end, they were really saying that about themselves, that we're the wretched guys, and our end should be wretched, and God's going to give this responsibility to another people. And so Jesus then takes this point, and he connects it back to his parable by taking his story and connecting it to his scriptures, okay? So now we're going to get this understanding from this point that he's making using scripture. Notice Psalm 118. So Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? Again, he's talking to the religious leaders, the people who are supposed to be studied up in the Bible and know scripture. And it's as if they don't understand it. They don't. In fact, a lot of times they fail to really even study Scripture. They just studied what other people said about Scripture. The stone which the builders rejected. Now again, this comes out of Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone of what God is building. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, religious leaders in Israel, everybody who's listening, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So what's Jesus' point? What's, he's pulling all this down to a point. What is it? I'm a simple guy, so I need things kind of organized, right? So the son in the parable we know is Jesus. And he's saying that the stone that was rejected by Israel is Jesus. All right? So Psalm 118. Last week, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, praise the one who's coming in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118. At the beginning of Psalm 118. 
But later on in that psalm, all those cheers went to rejection. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, back in what you guys were cheering yesterday, I'm telling you, is going to become rejection in a few days. You know, we know now, reading back, but he's using the same psalm to show that, hey, just because you're cheering my name now, you're going to end up rejecting me. And so the rejected stone is Jesus, we know now. That's the cornerstone of God's kingdom. We have cornerstones on buildings. Um, we just kind of set them there. It's kind of symbolic now because everything we have is high tech when it comes to you know, putting together a building. But back in the day, they would have a cornerstone. That cornerstone was um, perfectly square. It was set level and plumb. And it was from that that the rest of the building was being built. And so what Jesus is saying to us is that the cornerstone that Israel rejected, what God wanted, uh, the stone that he wanted to build his kingdom upon, Israel is going to reject. And it's happening right in his day. They're rejecting him. He's the cornerstone. He's the one who is perfectly square. He's the one who is level. He's the one who is plumb. He, he is the one that this building should be completely built off of. But the problem was the religious leaders, because they've rejected him, there's some other cornerstone that they have down here. And this cornerstone now is not even a, a building that God wants built. It's ineffective. It's, it's not what he wants. They fail to understand scripture. And then they beat and kill those who wanted to make sure that they had the right information to, to change what they were doing. And instead they built something that wasn't working. And so because of this, like the vine growers in the parable, God was going to remove from them the building of his kingdom and give to a people, another group. So what does he mean by people? Before we hit that one real quick thing, is that the, the kingdom, God's kingdom is, you know, we think of kingdoms as a castle and land and a king and servants and all that kind of stuff. The Bible tells us, Romans 9, um, Revelation 20, that God's not finished with Israel. He's just kind of set them aside for now. But eventually there's going to be an earthly kingdom on this, on this earth uh, where Jesus reigns for a, thousands, a thousand years. So again, you can study that out for yourself. Something that's going to happen in the future, and we believe it by faith, it's going to happen. But for now, the, the kingdom is really the people who have placed their faith in God. So if you've placed your faith in Christ for your salvation, and God has saved you, you are part of God's kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart, you can say. And so the people then, that word that he used, we get our word ethnic from it, uh, and it means, technically, it means people who are not Jewish. So it's anybody who's not a Jew. But Jesus is taking and kind of referring it to those who make up the church, those who have placed their faith in Christ. So Jews and non-Jews who have placed their faith in Christ are those who make up the church. Now today, the vast majority of people who make up the church, Christ's body, are non-Jewish people. There are some who have placed their faith in Christ, but the majority of them have rejected Christ. And so today, the majority are Gentiles. And so here's another people or a different people who are responsible to build this kingdom. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. So I want to kind of connect it to what the rest of the New Testament talks about. So in 1 Peter 2, Peter is talking to a, a large majority of this church are Gentiles, non-Jewish people who have placed their faith in Christ. So people like you and me, 
As long as we don't have any Jewish blood in us, we're Gentiles. And he says this, he takes some Old Testament uh, phrases and he puts it together and gives us an explanation to these Gentile believers. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That word nation is the same word that we get our word ethnic from, ethni, um, that Jesus uses in Matthew 21. A people for God's own possession, so you may proclaim the excellencies. That word excellencies means valor or heroic deeds. Very manly, very you know, warrior-like, that type of thing. So the excellencies are heroic acts of him, which, by the way, this is, so that's our purpose as Christians, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter's taking and explaining for us a little bit more what Jesus is talking about here, and he uses some phrases that were initially connected to Israel. And he says, you are a, a holy nation. Holy means to be set aside for God's purposes. And so they were a holy nation, a holy people. And, and their responsibility, according to Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, where this is um, talked about, their responsibility was to represent God before all the other nations. They were supposed to show them who God was by how they lived their lives. They were supposed to give an accurate definition or an accurate picture of who God is and what he wanted for people. But, where, like I said before, where Israel was set aside for this purpose, Israel chose to set aside that purpose. And they didn't fulfill that. They were giving a different picture of who God was. They were not being accurate. They were not doing life God's way. Now, that privilege and that responsibility is given, given to us, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. Now, we are part of God's kingdom, and our responsibility is to proclaim Christ to those who don't know him. We're the ones who are supposed to be getting an accurate definition of who God is through what we say, how we live our lives. And then those people who come to Christ, then they become part of the kingdom. That's how we build the kingdom. Building the kingdom today is more and more people coming to Christ. So here at Grace Point Church, it means our church getting larger and larger and larger with people who are giving their life to Christ. And we're seeing that happen in our church. We're, you know, praising the Lord for that. But that's the fruit of the kingdom that Jesus was talking about. Giving it to another people who will produce the fruit of the kingdom. That's the fruit of the kingdom, people coming to Christ. Paul gets in the act. He doesn't use the exact word, but he uses the concept, and it's just a great uh, summary. It's out of Ephesians chapter 2. And he says this, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. So how do you want to have peace with God and peace with others? It only comes through Jesus. Who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one, the body of Christ with the church, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is a law of commandments, the Mosaic law contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. It's kind of cool that phrase there means a new race of people. So we got all these different races in our, our world, right? At least that's what we call them. We're all actually, you know, we all have the same kind of DNA, basic DNA. There's no other races. We all have pigment in our skin, all that kind of stuff. But whatever the case, we have all these new races. And so this is a new race. This is a new race of people. This is the people who were spiritually dead who are now spiritually alive. And that's a kind of a new thing. So we're kind of a new race, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ. So into our new race, thus establishing peace. Having been built on the foundations, so here we go, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's the word coming out of Matthew 21. In whom the whole building, now again, it's, it's not building like we see here, but building people. So all these people, people who are coming to Christ, people who are coming to Christ through our, our church and the ministries that we're doing, they're being built upon each other. We're building up this kingdom, this building, being fitted together. So Jesus is fitting us together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So Paul's talking about this nation, this new race of people, that Jesus is the cornerstone, and as people come to Christ, we're being built on him and off of him, and we're building this building of people. He calls it a holy temple. Now again, a temple in, in the first century and in the Old Testament, it was this whole thing, come and see who God is, and, and that, the reason why the temple was so beautiful is because it was representing who God is, who's beautiful, and all the um, different things that were in there represented God. And so it says, come and see, come and see who God is. Today, it's a go and tell who God is. And our lives are the temple. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So how we live, how we speak, how we respond to people, choices that we make, we're either doing it in a holy way, separated for God's purpose, or an unholy way, doing it for ourselves. And in doing that, though, if we're Christians, we're showing some definition of who God is. And so our goal is to know who God is, to know how he wants us to live so we can represent him and give a great, accurate definition of who he is. He calls it a dwelling of God because God's Holy Spirit lives in us. Well, back to Matthew 21, where Jesus takes this parable, gives us this point, but then also gives this warning. That's in verse 44. He says, And he who falls on this stone, again, we know now the stone is Jesus, will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So his point is, to reject Jesus is to experience judgment. If we, whether, uh, whether we fall on Jesus, we'll explain what that might be, or Jesus falls on us, if we reject him, we will experience judgment for our sin. Now, the religious leaders, they fell on Jesus, right? We're going to be talking about this next Sunday, um, or maybe the Sunday after. But that Jesus was fell upon. Right? He's in the garden, and the, the religious leaders show up, and they arrest him, and they kill him. So they fell upon him. And because of that, they met their judgment. Now, phys, uh, spiritual judgment, if they hadn't placed their faith in Christ at some point after that, but there's also a, a physical uh, judgment in a sense that they lost their temple. 30 years after this, 40 years after this, A.D. 70, the Roman, Romans came in and they destroyed their temple. The temple was their place of worship. So since that day, 70 AD till now, Israel has not had a temple to do their worshiping in. That causes some issues for them because they can't fulfill what they believe God's called them to do, which again, now we know from Jesus' point of view is not what he wanted them to do. But those whom Jesus falls on is speaking about those who fail to place their faith in Christ. Those who choose to reject Christ at some point in their lives when they die, 
then they're going to face his judgment. He's going to fall upon them in that sense. So we're all going to die at some point in the future. And if we haven't placed our faith in Christ, then we, we stand before him in our sin, and that sin must be judged. We talked about it last week. We even read here that, or we will read here in a second, that there's this death that happens. It's not just physical death, but spiritual death, and it's judgment in hell according to Scripture. In fact, what I was referencing, John 3 Early on, Jesus in his ministry made this, tried to make this perfectly clear to everybody, including us. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, we know that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their full weight of trust in him, that he died for their sins and rose again, shall not perish. Shall not, that means death, spiritual death, death in hell, judgment for our sin, but have eternal life. We don't have to go to hell. We get to go to heaven and be with God. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. When he came the first time, he didn't come to judge, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already. Not that Jesus is judging them at this point, but they're basically allowing themselves to be judged by not putting their faith in him because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus is saying, listen, I came not to judge, but to save. To let everybody know, yeah, we all sinned, and we all deserve hell, and I'm the only one who could save you, and I did what was necessary. I died on the cross, and the Bible tells us by him doing that, that took our death on his shoulders. Then he rose from the dead, which allowed our sin, uh, our spiritual death to happen, and then we can have spiritual life through him who gives, gives spiritual life life. See, when it comes to Jesus, it's all about what we do with Jesus, whether we accept him or we reject him. That's Jesus' ultimate point he's trying to get across to us. So with that, what's our, what's our takeaway? So I got a, a couple truths that come out of this and then a couple takeaways that go with that. The first truth is this. God is determined to get his message to you. So if you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Christ, which again, that's what Jesus says is what causes you to have your sins forgiven and to be right with God and to know that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. You need to know, you need to decide what you're going to do with that. But understand this, he's determined to get the message to you. He sent over thousands of years, he sent people to Israel to try to get them to get it right, to get back right with God and do life God's way. Then he sends Christ, he sends God the Son in human flesh in order to once again say, hey, listen, you didn't believe all those guys. Believe me, I'm God. I'm trying to tell you who I am and, and what God expects and what God desires. He wants to save you. So how many people in your life, if you're here this morning, you haven't placed your faith in Christ, how many people have come into your life how many times has God sent Christians into your life, and hopefully they're Christians who are doing life God's way, because there are some who say they're Christians, but man, you, you know, look at things and they don't really understand what it means to be a Christian, but how many Christians has he placed into your life? You're here this morning, so even if you don't have a bunch of people who are pouring into you as to what a Christian really looks like, giving you a definition and understanding who he is, you're here this morning, you're hearing it. The offer is still on the table. 
You haven't died yet. And don't do it right now. <laughs> Please. Is there a doctor in the house just in case? No, you haven't died yet. So the offer is still on the table. And so let me just challenge you. Last week we had a person indicate salvation on a Sunday morning and on a Thursday night I talked to somebody who was unsure on Sunday. Talked on Thursday. They placed their faith in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're uncertain, you know for a fact that you haven't placed your faith in Christ or you're uncertain, let me just challenge you to do something. Just your heart to God's heart. All you need to do is just have a conversation with him where you voice to him your faith in him. And it usually goes something like this. I'm not going to pray this morning, but if you um, are sensing, yeah, I need to do that, then I'd like you to do this. Just have a conversation right here, right now, your heart to God's heart. You don't even have to close your eyes. You know, and just say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I'm separated from you. And if, if something isn't done with my sin, I'm going to spend eternity in hell. But I know and I believe placing my full weight of trust on you that when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone. Just that kind of conversation with God. And if you've prayed that prayer, I would love it if you would do me the honor. Just put your name on one of the connect cards and you can flip it on the back on the blue side and you can even mark on it, I trusted in Christ today for my salvation. I would love to know that. And we got some information that we could give to you that can kind of help you get things started and rolling in the right direction. Well, as the band comes up, we've got a truth for you, we who are Christians, and that's this, that God's given Christians the job of building the kingdom. That's our job. That's why he leaves us here on this earth. That's why when we come to Christ, he doesn't just take us right to heaven. Because we've got a life to live, one in which we grow closer to who, who he is and, and know him better, but then we have a job. So if you've placed your faith in Christ, whether it was years ago or today, your new purpose in life is to share Christ, is to give this message. You now become one of those messengers that God wants in our lives, in the people's lives who need Christ. The religious leaders failed they failed because they were selfish and they were prideful. And I'll, we're determined here at Grace Point, we're not going to let that get in our way. We don't want to be selfish and hold it to ourselves. We don't want to be prideful thinking, yeah, we know better than God what we're supposed to do. No, we're going we're gonna to do what God wants us to do. Even if we're fearful, even if we're unsure, because each of us have the privilege and the responsibility to do it. And so the takeaway is this. I'm going to make it real easy for you. You know, some baby steps. First one, invite some friends and family who don't know Christ to our Easter services. Kim and I, what we're, we've decided to do is we're going to invite our neighbors, and we're going to say, hey, why don't you come to the service on Saturday night, uh, 4 p.m. I'm not doing anything else on Saturday, so I'm going to be here. Um, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. One person laughed at that one. So I'm going to be here, and we're going to have them come to the service and then come to our house for a little barbecue afterwards. We, one of our neighbors is already saying, hey, well, you guys have a service, so we know one of them is going to probably come. So just invite some of your friends and family to the Saturday night service. And if you want, take them out for dinner or have them to your house you know, for dinner or dessert or whatever. It's at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so we get done at 9 o'clock at night. You have time for coffee, <laughs> you know, so it should be good, right? No, you get done about 5, 5.15, get home about 5.30, 6 o'clock, ready time for dinner, right? 
works out great. And then lastly, attend the reach class that we got going this Saturday. That's why we do these classes. I don't do it just to have more things to do in my life. I want to do it so that we understand that there are some real practical, easy ways as we just live our lives, that we can represent Christ, that we can give the gospel message, that we can impact people for Christ. And so we're just going to cover some of those things in about a little less than three hours on a Saturday morning. There's going to be food available. Uh, we've got child care available if you need it. Just let us know that you need child care so we can get that set up. But we'd love to have you come for that. Also, um, yeah, so 9 o'clock Saturday morning, and I'd love to have you there. Dave?